Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, as you have so long spoken to your people and spoken through your word, continue now. Speak here in this place through my words, through your words, that we might be pointed to our Savior Jesus and to serve in his name. In Jesus' name, amen. Never heard that one before. How many have heard, or sorry, how many had not heard the story read this morning from Exodus? I won't ask it every week, but I'm just curious on some of them. Perfect. It's the beginning of Exodus, which is one of the major books in the Old Testament, and yet there's uh, names that are mentioned only once, and a, a lot of things in there. Oh, I, I didn't know that happened. I didn't know that story. So far, we're into work th- week three, and there's a word that's appeared at least in every story, including this week, and sometimes multiple times and in multiple ways. That word that we heard from Abraham, a couple stories of him uh, with Moses and Jethro last week, and a word you, you've already heard today, and we'll look at that word is fear. And truthfully, it applies to all of us, doesn't it? At one point or another, in some way or another, everyone in this room is afraid of something, right? Could be a simple fear of missing out. Could be the fear of of not being invited to something meaningful. The fear of being cut from the team. The fear of being alone. Fear of getting sick or getting hurt or the fear of the loss of your spouse or a, a loved one, a fear of losing a job, fear of losing the approval of someone, a fear of letting down a friend or a parent, or there's just the irrational fears of spiders and snakes or strangers or whatever they are, or the fear that this sermon's going to go way too long. I understand that. Fears are real, and they are are motivating, right? Often, if we're really afraid of something, we might act on it. And we might act in in good ways. We might act in bad ways. I heard it on a a podcast I listened to when I I run, and it was a very hot, sweaty run, middle of this week. And a guy who was around 45, he said his dad died when when his dad was 50. So he was getting near to that age, and his son looked at him while he was eating junk food and said, Dad, are you going to die in five years? And he said at that moment, he put it down and started eating salads. (laughs) Fear can do good things, right? Abraham, two weeks ago, he goes to Egypt. And then he says, whoa, uh, my wife is beautiful. I'm afraid they're going to kill me and take her. Uh, just, Just lie and say that you're my sister. And then for the same fear, he does that later in Genesis as well. Today... There's actually two kinds of fear in our story today, the right kind and the wrong kind, a bad kind and a good kind. And you hear it from the good kind comes from these two courageous women of faith only once mentioned in the Bible. And yet what they do, their courage, their faith, their actions are astounding and should disciple all of us. Now contrast that to Abraham who gets lots of chapters of Genesis and he's the patriarch, the patriarch of patriarchs, and he is always, in some ways, failing due to his fear, and yet here, 
uh, little mention, little known, two humble, courageous giants in the faith. Let's hear about them. Exodus 1. I'm going to start at verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Remember, saved uh, people from famine and saved the food. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty. Come, let us deal shrewdly, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they're going to join our enemies and fight against us. Therefore, let us set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. So they built those cities. Twelve, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, mortar brick, and all kinds of work in the field. And all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Who's afraid? Pharaoh. And then it says all, all of Egypt. They're afraid because God has made one of his two promises to Abraham come true. From one son, great nation. So God made two wild promises to Abraham that he would have descendants as many as the sand on the beach or the stars in the heaven. And at that point, he had zero. And here they are, millions in Egypt. The first promise, descendants, a nation has come true. The second land, a place, has not and is about to. Exodus is the beginning of fulfilling that second promise. But Pharaoh is afraid and it's on full display. If, if they uh, join our enemies, they're, they're going you know, they're, they're to be able to overtake us. He's, he's afraid of them. And so what does he do? He hatches this plan. Verse 15, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other named Puah, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter... She shall live. Who is named and who is not named in the book of Exodus? The great question people always wonder about this is, who was the Egyptian pharaoh when this story happened? It would have been so easy to name them. And they are not named. They are called the king of Egypt multiple times. And who is named? Say it with me. Shifra and Puah. Say it again, Shifra, because in God's word, they will be named, and the Pharaoh who commits evil against God's people will not be. Isn't there something cool about that? And how great are the artifacts we have from Egypt, and how great, yes, they were a great advanced society at the time, and, 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 and in this story, long story of Exodus, Pharaoh is not named, he's called the king of Egypt, and these poor, lowly Humble, nobody, courageous, godly women, Shifra and Puah, their names are listed. And what does it say about them? Verse 17 is the verse that stops me in my tracks every time I read this. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but let the male children live. Logic says you'd be afraid of the leader, ruler, king, pharaoh who could kill you right now for disobeying his orders. 
Logic says that's who you should really be afraid of. And that's who you should obey no matter what, right? That, that's, uh, I'm human too. I, I'd find some way, maybe we'd all find some way to try to obey that. And, and it says, the midwives, Shifra and Pua, feared God and did not do as Pharaoh. Well, Pharaoh is a god, one of the many gods. The Egyptians were a very religious people with many temples and many gods. Some people say every Egyptian person would have had a knowledge of hundreds of gods and know what to do to this one to get the blessings of them. And Pharaoh was one of those gods. You are choosing, they were choosing which god they would serve and obey and trust. And just that alone makes me stop and pause in wonder and awe. How did these women know about God? Think about it. God, Yahweh, has allowed his people to be slaves. Not for a year, not for 40 years. 400, more than 400 years, they are slaves in Egypt. How powerful does God look? Not very. How loving might God look to many people? Not very. How, how present, how caring, how attentive to their prayers might God look to so many people? So where, where would I be in, in the, I'm, I'm trusting that our God is more powerful than all the other gods scale at this point in history? I might be pretty low on that. And here are these two brave, courageous women that somehow know something is different about their God. That even though they are slaves, and even though they are mistreated, they know who has their heart and who they want to obey. And no matter what Pharaoh can uh, do to them or threaten to them, as he has enslaved and, and abused them, and they don't know all the mysteries of why God might allow something, they know it is far better. They are more convinced and convicted of obeying Yahweh than obeying Pharaoh. Wow. So the first brief thing I take away from this story is this. Can you trust God when the lights are off? Can you trust God when it's dark? When you, can you trust God when life seems to go all wrong? Can you trust God when God seems silent and seems like he's not attentive to your needs and to your prayers? Can you trust God, and can you still know that Jesus is risen when it seems like everything in your life is going badly? And if you need to find people in the scriptures that, that show you that, here's where it is. It's Shifra and Pua that somehow knew in the midst of 400 years of slavery, abuse, and oppression, they still knew the goodness of God, the love of God, and the power of God. Can you trust God even when it's dark? Okay, the second brief application on this. Courage isn't a one-time thing, but a long-term thing. Courage is not uh, post something on Twitter one time, wait for some uh, retweets and likes, and then walk away. You know, I, I solved the world's problems. Courage is not secretly giving a dollar to the right cause. Not that that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. But courage is not simply saying the right thing at the right time to get the right people's approval. Courage is not, there might be one-time actions that are a result of courage, but true courage is a long-term life. Shifra and Pua had to do this a long time. 
years, probably, the courage that they knew who the true God is and, and who knew who they really wanted to obey, who was truly loving, they got up every single day and they defied Pharaoh's orders and saved the Israelite baby boys. And probably knowing they could be put to death at any time if they were caught. Now this would take much time to unfold, right? Pharaoh calls them in, secret meeting, maybe twists their arm a little bit or, or tries to you know, tempt them, lure them, who knows how it all worked. And it takes a while, right? It takes probably years for some advisors to say, uh, say, hey, Pharaoh, weren't you dealing with that Hebrew boy problem? Uh, there, there's a lot of little ones running around here. I'm, I'm, how's that going for us here? Courage and being faithful to God is never a one-time action. It takes time. And those two things are built on this. This is where we're going to camp out the rest of our time is, I would say, third application, but the major one is, what kind of God do they know? What kind of God do these two courageous women know? What kind of God do Shifra and Pua know? What do they know about God? What kind of God do they know that they would rather obey Yahweh and not kill than disobey and obey Pharaoh, who ordered them to, to do this, and Pharaoh, who could kill them immediately? What do they know about God? even while being oppressed as slaves, that their heart would be so gripped that they would want to follow him. Because, like, Lord, I want some of that. They know that God is the God of, we say, two words in Scripture, law and gospel. That is, God has a good and holy and righteous will that is good for all people, whether we like it or not, and does want us to obey it. God is not a pushover. God, God has law, his good will for, for us, for our lives, for society. And at the same time, God is merciful and gracious and forgiving. And there is nothing that we have ever done in our hearts or in our lives to violate God's good will and God's law that cannot be forgiven. And God speaks in these two ways, and God's heart is big enough to hold these two things, is that God is serious about his will. God is serious about the sin in, in my life. He's serious about sin then and, and serious now. God is serious that we actually love our neighbors as ourselves, and therefore care for others. And interestingly, God hasn't given the Ten Commandments yet. That's later in Exodus. But you already hear of God's law and God's will. They, they knew it before Moses wrote it down at God's request. They already know, do not murder. Later they hear, you shall have no other gods, but Shifra and Pua already know that. They know that our God is so serious yet so loving that the lion, as he's called, of the tribe of Judah, the greater Moses, that is Jesus himself, the fulfillment of all of God's promises and all of God's love, God's son, God himself, would suffer and bleed and die for every wickedness, every selfish thing I've done, every, every person murdered then and now, every act of cowardice, and every time I've failed God or, or failed you or failed others, God is loving enough to take that on himself and bleed and die and forgive that. Now, these women, Shifra and Pua, didn't know the end of the story when they lived, but they knew the character of God. 
They knew that God is worth trusting, that God would save, that God would forgive. So I would say it this way, they knew the right kind of fear, not the wrong kind of fear. So where English kind of uh, doesn't help us. We think fear is scared and afraid, and Pharaoh was that. Shifran Pua had the kind, uh, the good kind of awe and reverence, uh, like standing at the foot of Mount Everest. Uh, you're not scared like run away, but you're, you're drawn towards it in the greatness and awe. And it's not Mount Everest, it's Jesus on a cross for you and for me. And so what Shifra and Pua did because they knew the character of God is truthfully what God's people have always done. They've always cared for others. They've always seen it as because of what God has done for us, we absolutely go and love our neighbors as ourselves in every way possible. And so uh, the church, New Testament, and all the way back to Exodus, has always cared for all of life. From the womb, yes, all the way to the tomb. And yes, fully abled bodies, but also disabled bodies and minds. God's people know that's the heart of God to care for all beating hearts, all life. And that, that's what we do, not out of, not out of pride, not, but out of love, knowing that we were enemies of God and we have been brought in and we are forgiven all of our sin. And we want to, to follow our God who has lived and died and rose for us. And so what Shifra and Pua did is what God's people have always done, no matter where they lived and no matter what the laws were. So... I've not been under a rock the last three days. I do know that this story uh, coincides uh, with, obviously, uh, many things in our culture and the overturning of Roe. And I know for some of you, that's great rejoicing. But I also know that for others of you, it brings a lot of other mixed emotions. What I want you to know is how the church has always acted in following Jesus. The first is this, saying that, God is gracious, merciful, forgiving, and there is nothing we have done that cannot be forgiven and is already paid for by Jesus. And second, because we are blood-bought people, we do look and care for everybody. No matter what age, no matter what ability, and the church, that has been the church's legacy all the way back to these two women. And it didn't matter what society people were put in, and in The early church after Jesus, the Christian church had zero political power, and they still acted this way. So whether the church has influence in a society and influence on politicians or not, the church has been consistent to sacrifice of ourselves to care and love others. So when God's people get to the promised land, takes a while in Exodus, they have a lot of detours. God knows and says, these other Canaanite peoples will sacrifice their children to all these gods because they think they're disposable. You will not. Jesus is radical when he picks up a baby and says, let the little children come to me. And I'll have you know, atheist historians have documented that everywhere Christianity has spread, the status of women and children has always been raised in societies. And today, the two largest countries that have not been on a wide scale influenced by Christianity, India and China, still have the largest degree of sex-selective abortions against women. 
Everywhere that Christianity has spread to, women and children have been respected more and treated as equals than elsewhere. The rest of the ancient world and the early church, it was common and even uh, seen as noble to discard babies, especially girls. It was the Christians noted, again, and a lot of this is not by Christian historians, they just know that it happened, that Christians would rescue children's, children, babies born left outside the city gates. Even if they were poor and it would make them poorer. Christians said, they are a child of God, we will care for them. And so the earliest uh, catechism from the second generation says things like this. Like, don't uh, kill a child in the womb or infant or, or later. They are, they are precious to God. The church started hospitals and hospices for people dying at the end of life. It's because we know what God has done for us and loved us that we care for, for people dying. In the first three, four hundred years, again, when the church had zero political influence on the Roman Empire and grew rapidly, most people say a lot was due to when plague swept through cities and everybody went away for safety, old school social distancing, they all left the city and all went out. Christians stayed and cared, and even contracted some of these terrible diseases and died, but people knew what Jesus was like. So this has been the, the witness of the church. And so if the church ever gets known to not be that, God help us. And Jesus, recall us to be your people. See, it is my hope that the church is known to be like this in the coming days, coming months, coming years to come. Okay, I have to deal with the last two verses, otherwise all of you will come talk to me later. And that is 18 and 19. King of Egypt called the midwives back and said, why have you done this? Why have you let the male children live? Midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and became strong. What's the challenge? There's a challenging twist here. They defy Pharaoh's orders. They then essentially lie to Pharaoh. And God commends them. So I'd rather not talk about this. For, for the record, I'd rather just like wait for you to find it and come you know, talk to me about it. But one of you already did this week. I thought, okay, I better talk about it. Is God commending disobeying? And is God commending lying? In almost every case, no. We have the fourth commandment. Honor your father, mother, governments, authorities, teachers. Yes, yes, yes. And we have the eighth commandment, right? Do not bear false witness. Speak. But could there be some rare cases where following God means uh, doing some weird thing? Yes, there could be. I'm not in a position to make a list and tell you uh, when, you're, when it's okay to lie to somebody else. Because I don't think I'm a good enough judge to be able to do that. And I don't think God's put me in those kind of situations. And I also think it, we could probably all convince us, ourselves that it's, it's good to lie to somebody once in a while. So that, that's what kind of scares me a little bit. But it is a challenging twist. That could there be times when God's clear will, in this case, murder, is... God's clear will is violated, and they should not obey, and Shifra and Pua did that. And it, is there times when people have smuggled Bibles into former Eastern 
Europe and other places were uh, not allowed, and they were they lied to border guards. Yeah, that's a challenge. So I, that's a loose end I cannot tie up for you today. Other than say we follow Jesus and, and trust that He leads us. What I will end with is this: What kind of fear grips your heart? What kind of fear has gripped your heart lately? The Pharaoh kind or the Shifran Pua kind? What kind of fear has gripped your heart that you uh, obey immediately? What kind of fear has gripped your heart that that you want to do something in response? The Pharaoh kind or the Shifran Pua kind? What has captured your heart lately? Is, Is it just keeping your job? Is it just the approval of friends or just your income or just your bodily health? What kind of fear has been gripping your your heart and mind, the Pharaoh kind or or the Shifra and Pua kind? What really grips your heart? And can it be, is it, the heart of your holy Yes, but saving and forgiving God who bled and died and rose for you because the more and more you look at the cross of Jesus and know to what depths your God would go for you to find you and me lost and wandering creatures, the more you'll know, the more you'll want to know and do that God's will. The more I know the depth of my sin and the depth of my Savior's love for me, the more I want to in response follow him. And as a church, I pray that we pray for that kind of fear. Amen.